Welcome, and thank you for tuning into the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. Good morning, Graceland Church. You can take your seat. I'm still waiting for one day when I'm just like worshiping in God's presence that my voice sounds like Andy's. Anybody else? I, I do that in my head, but some different stuff comes out. Emily, that was oh, Emily's second time leading with us. Great job. Thank you, worship team. Happy Labor Day to everybody. Uh, if I don't know you yet, my name's Nathan Kolar. I'm honored to be our lead pastor here. One of the things I like about Labor Day is it reminds us that our work is worship unto God. You know, we're grateful for this work. God has given us work, and it is part of our worship. I want to celebrate a couple things before I get into the message. Uh, we, I had the joy of officiating a wedding ceremony yesterday for one of our beloveds, Rochelle DeMint, got married uh, yesterday in Minnesota. I actually, sadly, the pictures I have are just like my artsy photos. I got no people, so <laughs> you'll see pictures of her and Jackson uh, when they release some photos, but it was such a joy, and I was able to catch uh, the last flight back to Nashville last night to get back in, but uh, she sends her greetings. She was a, a worship leader for us for years, and we love her so much. Also, we had our first ESL graduation. This is our, yeah, look at that. And Samuel, can you go back to that first photo again real quick? I just wanted to note, if anyone needs Brad Tatum's cell phone number, there it is, right there. It accidentally got in the picture. You can reach out to Brad for anything you need. He does construction. He offers financial help if you need it. Just text that number. <laughs> um, this is an amazing class that Brad actually taught uh, that's part of our Grace in Espanol, um, Spanish speakers that are learning English. And for part of their graduation, we had some of our English-speaking members come and just practice conversation. And I, w I didn't get to be there until the very end, but I heard it was such a beautiful time. Pastor Oscar is our Espanol pastor. We are thankful for what God is doing at Grace in Espanol. And let me reiterate our Dream Again series. It starts next Sunday. I'm really believing that God's going to reignite dreams in your heart, things that felt like they were gone and over that God wants to speak to. I just believe connecting with God connects us with the deepest dreams of our heart, even things like a life of peace a life of joy, things that we thought were possible, um, I believe God is gonna rekindle in you. And then, like Pastor Oscar said, we, we wanna intentionally pray for and invite people into this series. We specifically designed it uh, to be that. We celebrate the empty seats because we work hard to have them. And they are representative of how hard our team is working doing multiple services to make room for people to connect to Jesus. You guys tracking with me? So I'm thankful for these seats. And they are there so that we can do what we're doing in these next three week, weeks, inviting people into the family. Of course, people are always welcome, but this is a special emphasis. Today, I want to start by addressing a false dichotomy. And let me just define false dichotomy for us first, even though I, I know most of you know what that would mean. But a false dichotomy results from assuming that a particular situation or problem has two mutually exclusive options and potentially ignoring a third option. Uh, by way of example, one false dichotomy is us versus them. A lot of times people use this in politics. They will present a problem as being adversarial only rather than options for people to go forward together. And they're oftentimes false dichotomies. Another one that's a little bit lighter is uh, the false dichotomy of being out versus staying at home in this sense. If I said, hey, come hang out with us tonight, it's going to be so much fun, or do you just want to stay home and be bored all night? That's a false dichotomy because you can actually stay home and still have fun. See what I'm saying? So there's a third way forward. Where's my home people at? Come on. <laughs> Where's my go out people at? All right, I'm not sure. Are we a party church or are we a stay home church? We're in the middle. <laughs> 
There is one false dichotomy that I want to address today that I think, if we buy into it, is really harmful. And it's the false dichotomy between the resurrection and lamenting. And let me just define lament. Lament is a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. And the way that this false dichotomy could manifest in our lives is people will think things like, okay, if I'm walking in the hope of the resurrection of Jesus, I should not be lamenting. But that's actually a false dichotomy. And the other side would be like this. If I'm lamenting, if I'm passionately grieving about something, oh no, it must mean I'm not walking in the hope of the resurrection. Those are both false dichotomies that can be harmful to us as Christians and I believe harmful to our witness in the world. Uh, because the world looks in and sees a faith that seems kind of fake and shallow if we don't make room for lamenting. The title today is The Resurrection and the Life Wept. We're in the Gospel of John. We've been in it for about a year. We'll be in it for another year. What we do is we take little breaks uh, for series like Dream Again, and then we come back to the Gospel of John. We're right in the middle of John 11. Every sermon is done so that it can be standalone, but we're also kind of walking through Scripture and learning how to study it and let it transform us. We're starting in verse 17 today. We're going to do almost 30 verses. So instead of reading the whole text up front, I'm just gonna teach through it as we go, which is a little bit different. But to give you the context, which is really important, this is when a man named Lazarus had died. And Lazarus had two sisters, Mary and Martha. And Jesus was personally close to this family. Like they were friends and Jesus dearly loved them in a physical way. He knew them, they touched each other, they hugged, they shared life together. And Lazarus got very sick. And we studied this part last week. You can always go back and listen at gracelandchurch.com for context. But once they found out Lazarus was sick, they sent word for Jesus, who was in a different town. And they said, Jesus, please come. Lazarus is sick. And Jesus declares right off the bat, Lazarus will not die. This will not end in death. But then he waits for two days before he even comes and answers their call. In the meantime, Lazarus dies. Jesus knows he dies. So this is a confusing situation. And Jesus even says something astonishing. He says, I'm actually glad that I wasn't there, and this is what he said to his disciples, so that we can go and do what I'm about to do so that you will believe. So we studied that last week. Jesus is always giving us opportunities to believe him. And even our problems can be reframed as, op- opportuni- reframed as opportunities to believe. And that's part of God's heart for us. And then we pick up on verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany, that was the town, was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She's crying out to her close friend, Jesus, who she... She also has declared her faith in who she believes is the son of God, the promised Messiah. And she's saying, if you would have showed up when I asked you to, things would be different. And there's an important principle here. Number one in your notes, lamenting is part of the Christian life. I think we don't give enough space for lamenting in our life as Christians. And don't worry, this is going to be a very hope-filled message. Um, But lamenting, passionate expression of grief is something we are meant to actually do as Christians. There's a whole book called Lamentations in the Old Testament. There are 
many psalms called Psalms of Lament. There is the theme of lament and grief all throughout the Old and New Testament. A teacher by the name of Kerry Newhoff said this about leaders and pastors, but I believe it applies to all of us as Christians. He said, Christians, grieve your losses as they happen. Every time someone leaves you or steps back from you, it's a loss. Whenever you give something only to find ingratitude, it's a loss. Add in death, illness, and strained or lost relationships, and well, you get the picture. Carrie says, I take time daily and weekly to review what's bothering me and simply pray about it. Sometimes I talk to others about it. I try to let myself stop and feel what I've experienced. And when I feel it, something surprising happens. The negative feeling begins to disappear. The process starts. And he says, if you want to stay healthy, grieve your losses. You've had a lot of loss. And I think all of us could say that in these past handful of years, we've experienced a little bit more loss than usual. We had the pandemic. We had the actual loss of some people that we love. I know lots of artists that had the loss of income and jobs. People had restructuring of their economics. We've had cultural, political, economic unrest in our nation, more so than most of us have ever felt in our lifetime. And and that can manifest as loss in our lives. Sometimes there's been broken relationships. Some of you guys are grieving the loss of friends and relationships even now. Many of us have lamented, Lord, why? Just Lord, why? And we're essentially saying what Martha is saying. If you would have showed up when I needed you, this wouldn't have happened. Why all this pain? Why all this evil in the world? Why this death and fear? If we're really honest, I think sometimes we're praying this. Couldn't you have done better than this, God? Couldn't you have done better? And so what do we do with that? That's the moment that Martha is in. And she shows this seed of faith right here in verse 22. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask, she said to Jesus. Then Jesus replied, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So pause there. She's kind of hearing Jesus through some some theology that's accurate, that's already been established in her. And that is that, yeah, he's gonna rise again on the last day, the new heavens and the new earth when we all rise again. When it's new bodies, new heavens, new earth. It's kind of like when I'm praying for someone to be healed, I pray that God will heal them right there, but I also know their healing is guaranteed on the other side of eternity. You guys know what I'm talking about? In this case, Martha is kind of saying, yeah, I know that's true, Jesus, but she's at the same time kind of saying, Jesus, he's already dead, and you weren't here, and if you would have been here, he wouldn't be dead. And look what Jesus says to her in verse 25. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? What an incredible exchange with Jesus. He pushes back on her answer, even though it was theologically accurate. Sometimes our theology, when it comes to living by faith, can almost become like a defense mechanism for us. It's kind of what she was doing right here. But Jesus is basically saying to her, hey, do you believe that I'm the resurrection and the life and can do anything right here, right now. In other words, maybe Jesus wants to do more in your life than you realize. Maybe we've kind of been let down enough that we safely tuck 
needs away and brokenness away, and at worst, even areas where we're hopeless. We've tucked it away and we've kind of said, yeah, I know you're gonna deal with all this, God, but maybe Jesus wants to say to you today, what if I wanna do more in your life? I was sitting with a pastor in my life once, just a few years ago, and I was sharing with him what I've shared here a few times publicly. I've, I've wrestled with um, not, not chronic or clinical necessarily, but pretty substantial depression in my life. I've, I've always been a high, high, low, low kind of temperament, and I have tasted, even in the middle of wonderful blessing in life and without any understanding of why it was happening, I've tasted the, the sense of hopelessness, hopelessness in my thoughts before. I, I've had that despair multiple times, and I've wrestled with God about it. I've sought counsel about it, and it's never totally gone away in my life. It's something that can happen and I can slip into. And I've held to the promise that the Apostle Paul talked about. He, he pleaded with God to take away the thorn in his flesh. It said he asked three times and God didn't take it away. And then God said, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. And that's of course true. And I bank on that. And I was sharing that with this pastor of mine and he pushed back on me. So I shared a theologically true statement that I, that I rest in, but he said, you know what, Nathan, I'm with you. I believe that, but have you asked God recently to heal you? Have you asked God recently to do more in your life? Do you believe that he could? Where's your faith in regards to this? And I think Jesus was kind of doing that in Martha's life. There might be more. And sometimes in our safe kind of theological nest, we actually start kind of not living by faith. Have you guys ever done that like me? And Jesus will stir us up in moments like this. He says, hey, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. And when he asks her, do you believe this? I love her response in verse 27. Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of God, who is to come into the world. And I love that her heart of faith just burst out even in the midst of her grief. Mind you, she's in a moment of grief and mourning and disappointment in Jesus. If only you had been here. And it's an important principle, even in the midst of pain and questions. Are you daily making your declaration of faith in the resurrection and the life? That's what Martha just did. Wherever you currently are, whatever the pain is, whatever the questions are, in the midst of that, Jesus still invites you to declare, oh, you are the resurrection and the life. You are the Messiah. I put my faith in you, know, in you. And sometimes what we need to do is trust what we already believe. Yes, remind ourselves we believe it. Yes, say, Lord, help my unbelief, like we talked about last week. But then just kind of speak to our own soul and our own thoughts and choose to trust what we already believe, even in the middle of whatever circumstance we're in. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. Quick side note, look at me. This is, this is like a freebie for this sermon. It wasn't planned. You can throw a little extra in, your, in the plate on your way out. You know what I mean? Just like whatever, whatever you think what I'm about to share is worth. No, I'm just kidding. This hit me in first service when I was preaching, and I love it. How incredible that Jesus is with Martha and asking for Mary by name. And we know this to be true in the scope of scripture. Jesus knows your name and he asks for you. Like imagine how incredible, it's like all this buzz around this, this person, this, 
this King of kings, this Lord of lords, God in the flesh, the one who holds the keys to the universe, who gives us life, all this commotion, and all of a sudden, come on some, someone comes and finds you and says, hey, the teacher's asking for you by your name. I'm so glad he asks for us by name. And I believe what we're doing when we invite people in the family of God is we're saying to them, hey, the teacher is asking for you. Like, guess what? I, I have found this hope in Jesus, and he wants to know you. He's asking for you by name. That might be not what you actually say when you invite them. That might be a little weird. Like, hey, neighbor, um, Jesus just told me he's calling your name. If God tells you to do it, do it. But maybe don't start with that. You could just invite him to a service or like to get coffee. But what's happening behind the scenes, I just believe is completely true. Are you guys tracking with me? The teacher is asking for you, and he's asking for Mary while she's grieving. And when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. Jesus is calling. <laughs> How could I resist that? It was so perfect. He's asking for someone right now. He's asking for you. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her. So she's going out to Jesus, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. And when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Word for word, the same lament as her sister, Martha. And it just makes me realize this is what happens in our families. And it's not bad but we have issues in our families. Can anybody say amen to that? Yeah. Whose family has a lot of issues? Raise your hand. We have issues in our families. If you didn't raise your hand, repent of lying. <laughs> raise two hands, raise all your fingers. We have issues in our families. And you know, we talk about those issues and we develop language around those issues. And they had developed language. They both fell at the feet of Jesus and quoted each other because they said, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And this is where we start to see the breakdown, the beautiful breakdown of the false dichotomy of resurrection life and lamenting life. Because in verse 33, it says, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. This is right after he made the declaration, I in the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? And now fast forward however many minutes. He's deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And I love this truth. Jesus sees your weeping. And he's deeply moved in spirit by your weeping. Then he takes it even further. It's so remarkable. Where have you laid him? Jesus asked. Come and see, Lord. They replied. And then we see the shortest verse and one of the most profound verses in all of Scripture. John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. The resurrection and the life wept. Jesus not only sees your weeping, but he weeps with you. And the timing of this is so important to recognize because it's basically in one gathering Jesus is declaring by faith resurrection power. I am the resurrection and the life. You are invited. Do you believe this? And at the same time, he's deeply moved and troubled in spirit and weeping with you. So the principle is this. The resurrection and the life wept. Therefore, weeping is not contrary to believing. 
Sometimes weeping is your believing. Sometimes believing is your weeping. And if you for a second think that just because you are holding such deep grief and lamenting in your heart, you're not walking by faith or you're somehow not believing or even worse, you're somehow disqualified or you're some miss somehow missing it, that is a lie. That's a lie only from the pit of hell, period. Only from the pit of hell. He's the only, the, the, the enemy of your soul tries to get you to think that your grief and your weeping is somehow evidence of your not believing. And even the Jews there in verse 36 said, see how he loved him. They knew Jesus loved them so deeply. And then some of them had the same question. Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? Then we get to it in verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. And look at me for a second, because I just want to remind you before you read ahead too much. This is an, a wild moment. He's been dead for four days. It's over. The big rock is over the cave. He is gone. Obviously, Jesus got something wrong. If I'm one of his disciples and I'm in that moment and, and, and Jesus walks up like that and is coming to the cave, I'm thinking, what is about to go down? Kids, go home. Like, this is gonna get crazy. And look what he says right in verse 39. Take away the stone. And immediately, Martha but Lord, by this time there is a bad odor for he's been there four days. And this is not to beat up on Martha at all. I just think it's part of our human nature. Look at what's happening here. Her most desperate prayer, Jesus, please show up and heal my brother before he dies. It goes unanswered. She's now disappointed in Jesus. And she said, if you would have been here, he would still be alive. Now Jesus is there. He steps up to the tomb. He takes one step towards answering her prayer. And she immediately says, wait a second, don't do it like that. <laughs> Isn't that fascinating? I think it's part of our human nature. I think the deepest prayers of our heart, oftentimes, when God starts answering it, our first thought is, please don't answer it like that, I'm uncomfortable. Now I'm scared, now I'm nervous about what you're gonna do. And you're in good company with Martha. Sometimes he calls us to take giant steps of faith in answer to the prayers we've prayed. And then Jesus reminds her, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? He's basically reminding her, Martha, you believe. She needs to learn to trust what she already believes. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. So he's saying that he's already settled before his father. He already knows Lazarus is gonna rise from the dead, but he is praying out loud for the sake of all the onlookers so that they may believe. We have this book now, these scriptures now, so that we would still be talking about it. Why? So we would have an opportunity to believe. Believing is so important that Jesus is obsessed with giving his disciples, giving us opportunities to believe. Obsessed because he loves you. It's good when some of those prayers take longer than we think and go unanswered and we end up in a direction we didn't realize because it gives us the chance to believe. If everything just happened exactly how we want it to happen, right when we want it to happen, we would, our faith would not grow. 
We would not learn to believe and to declare who Jesus is in our life. But your problems are giving you opportunity today to believe. Jesus is praying out loud for their sake. And I believe also he's modeling for us what I just did a minute ago where I shared a little bit about some of my story and the brokenness of my story and how God has met me there. God may be inviting you to share out loud with some of the people in your life some of your story, not necessarily for your benefit, but so that they may believe, that they may believe. Your neighbors might need to hear your story. Don't shy away from it. Your coworkers need to hear your story. Your family needs to hear your story. And not just, hey, I'm doing great since I started following Jesus, but hey, I'm following Jesus and I have hope, but I still have this thing that I'm wrestling with so deeply, but I have hope. I'm going towards him. I'm walking by faith. It's so powerful what he's modeling for us there. And then in verse 43, the culmination, this is an incredible moment. Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. I am so thankful for resurrection power. I am so thankful that he shows himself strong in our lives. The longer I live, the more I'm like, wow, the only hope we have for anything is the resurrection power of God, period. At that wedding yesterday, we had a moment where we were going to take communion with the couple, and we called the parents up and a couple of the grandparents that were uh, still living, and I backed up. They turned my mic off, and we huddled around the communion table while, while some worship leaders led us in a song. And what we were doing is we were saying, this marriage, this culmination of all of these stories, all of these miracles are gathering around and declaring the hope of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And that is the rock that this marriage will be built on. And God met us in power in that moment. I mean, the family members and the couple were literally weeping. It was so powerful. And I hope it becomes a moment that they return to when their marriage is on thin ice, because it will happen. Can all my married people say amen? amen? Can all my married people say every marriage gets on thin ice at some point? Come on, just look at your spouse right now. You're on, you know, I, it's kind of funny, but kind of not. Because things get real, right? Things get real. The hope of resurrection is the hope for all of our relationships. New life. We're around resurrection a lot more than we think. Every season, we're around resurrection in the plants all around us and the wildlife. That's why it's part of the worship of God's creation. We're around resurrection as babies are conceived all over the place, you know, and, and this miracle happening in the womb. It's unbelievable how God causes new life. We're around spiritual renewal all the time in the ministry and the life of the church. And we need to remember, maybe even recover resurrection hope and realize it is not contrary to our weeping. So weep and hold to the power of the resurrection at the same time. Here's number seven, our closing principle. Jesus brings new life where there once was only death and invites us to walk in this new reality. That's the invitation. The invitation to follow Jesus is not, okay, pray the prayer and then learn to just never sin and get things right and, and, and live really good. How's that going for everybody out there? Anybody figure that out? No, no, no. What it is, is Jesus has created a new reality through us through the resurrection and said, now just walk in this reality. 
Do you see the massive difference of those two? Accept the good news of Jesus and aspire to walk in that reality. But it is a gift to you. If your faith is in Jesus right now, your slate is clean. You can pray with the boldness that Jesus would pray because you're living in the holiness of Jesus because of the resurrection. You are close with the Father because of what Jesus has done. You have new life and guaranteed future because of what Jesus has done. That's why we remember by celebrating communion. We're gonna take communion right now. But you might just need to, I don't know what God is doing in your heart. It might be you just need to weep before him and understand that that is part of your believing. It might be that you need to trust what you already believe. It might be that you need to realize there is no hope in your life except for Jesus and his resurrection power. Stop trying to hope in yourself. When you hope in yourself, you know what happens? Perpetual letdown. Anybody with me? You should be amening louder. Where are you at? Anybody there just feel let down by themselves? You're, you're let down by people? It's just, it's part of the thing, you know? But our hope is not in other people. It's not in ourselves. It's not in the church. We have church leaders falling left and right right now, and it's, it's messing with people's faith. Our hope is not in church leaders. Goodness gracious, we'd be doomed. Our hope is in Jesus and the power of the resurrection. Therefore, it cannot be shaken. Your hope cannot be shaken in the weeping seasons and in the celebrating seasons. So let me invite the worship team up. We're gonna do some really beautiful things together. We're gonna celebrate a baptism. If anybody wants to get baptized spontaneously, if you're not signed up, we have clothes and a towel that you can use. So if that's you, raise your hand, Stephen. In a minute, you're gonna be able to uh, join Stephen. We're gonna be singing and taking communion. But before we do the baptism, we're gonna take communion. Everyone here is welcome to communion, but what you need to know is if you take communion, you are putting your faith in Jesus. You're saying, I want to follow you, Jesus. I bring my life before you. I confess my sins before you. I, I accept your forgiveness. I want you to lead me in the way everlasting. You can pray that in your heart right now as we partake together. Can someone bring me a packet? I forgot again to bring one. Thank you. Thank you, Debbie. We have new, um, almost like mini chalices. Do you guys like the new mini chalices? Um, my daughters have already informed me that they're going to take these home and use them as Barbie accessories. So, <laughs> pastor's kid perks. What you do is you flip it upside down. Go ahead and open the side with the bread. Jesus told us in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four. He took the bread as he was sitting with his disciples and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so what we're doing is we are remembering the body of Christ broken for us. And I encourage you to make it personal. The body of Christ broken for me. And make it personal with your loved ones. The body of Christ broken for my family, for my spouse, for my siblings, for my parents, for my grandparents, for my friends. You realize Jesus has done this work not just for you, but for your family, for your loved ones, for your neighbor. We thank you for your body, Jesus, broken for us. We thank you for new life. We thank you that you invite us into wholeness because you took all our brokenness upon yourself. And we remember today as we eat. Let's partake, church. Go ahead and open the side with the juice. This is representative of the blood of Jesus shed for us. Jesus said in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty five, 25, 
This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. What an incredible thing, Lord. We thank you for the cleansing and the washing of our sins away. You have given us a clean slate. And in this moment, we come and we do what you commanded us to do. We remember your sacrifice for us and we re-up our commitment. We wanna follow you. We wanna love you. Forgive us for where we have fallen short. Forgive me for where I have fallen short. I ask for your forgiveness. I thank you for your covering. I thank you for your mercy that pours out on me. I thank you for your grace that pours out on me. I thank you for the newness of life, the hope of the resurrection, even in the midst of my weeping, even in the midst of my dreams, my joys, my fears, my challenges, the things that feel hopeless. Amidst it all, we recover the hope of the resurrection that makes all things new. And your blood speaks a better word. It makes a way. You know, church, I've said this a lot, but I find it just profound, as a profound reminder. Maybe because I did a wedding yesterday, but at my wedding 15 years ago, we took communion and someone had created a cup that had our names engraved on it, my, wife's and I name, my wife and I's names. And so we took communion out of a cup that was marked for us. And it, it overwhelmed me because it was like a deeper revelation of there's a cup of the blood of Jesus for you alone, like marked for you, marked for your loved ones, marked for your family. Like you have a place that cannot be shaken in this kingdom and in this family of God. Isn't that incredible? And so we thank you. We thank you that you have done this for us, for me. And we remind ourselves as we drink. Let's drink, church. I'm gonna pray this benediction. Um, before we do, I wanna do a, just a 30-second prayer if you'll pray with me. Lord, we, we thank you that we're going into this season of dreaming again. And I believe there's things you're awakening in people's hearts. For some, just the, the dream to follow you and know you wholeheartedly. For others, the dream of a life marked by the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, and peace, and all the others. For some specific dreams that you whispered to them years ago. Uh, for some specific things relationally, restoration. We pray for you to move in our midst. We also pray for those, our neighbors that we're inviting, our friends. God, we pray for hearts to be awakened divinely, uh, for you to do what only you can do in people's lives. And we commit it to you in Jesus' name. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you remain with you always. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great rest of the day.